Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Welcome to the show. This is Ridiculous History. We hope this is the podcast you're looking for. I want to start with a question that is very tangentially related, Noel. Are you asking me? Yeah, you specifically. Okay, uh-huh. Give, yeah, it, give it to me. You're Noel. I'm Ben. Hi. There's our super producer, Casey Pegram. Everyone say hi, Casey. Great. Hi, Casey. Hi, Casey. <laughs> hi, Casey. Uh, the question is this. Um, what is, what's your favorite holiday? Ghostoween. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that the same as Halloween? Yeah. It's, it's just the ghostier version. Okay. That's cool. That's cool. I'm a, uh, I'm a true fan of Halloween. And I say this in full disclosure, as we get closer to this favored holiday, I'm going to be pushing for more and more spooky stories. You know, you push and you push mm-hmm. and you push. And sometimes, Ben, sometimes mm-hmm. you get what you need. There we go. Uh, if you try sometimes, right, you just might find today's story is a ghost story. Yeah. And it's also a story of people trying things. Yes. On multiple levels. And and it's a story that I could see Guy Ritchie doing an adaptation of, oddly enough, because it has that right element of the seedy underside of England. Well, like, uh, didn't he do one of the Sherlock Holmes movies? He did. I believe he did, yeah. All right, that's been Casey on the case. We always have to uh, try to have at least one Casey on the case. Well, that one was unexpected. Yeah. He just kind of popped in, which I like. sudden death court. I like it. He has this button out there that he has to hit, Mm -hmm. and uh, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, we're we're all getting the hang of it. And I think it's I think it's normalized now. 
So Guy Ritchie probably would do a good job of this because it's got a lot of Cockney accents too, and a lot of uh, usury and, and mm-hmm. loan sharkiness uh, afoot, and afoot. a lot of scams and cons. But without further ado, let us present the story of the Cock Lane Ghost. But we can't begin in Cock Lane, right? We have to begin first with a pair of lovers, a William Kent and Elizabeth Lines, who married in about 1756 or 1757. That's very true. And tragically, the then Mrs. Kent died in childbirth, leaving her husband William to take care of a newborn baby boy. Mm -hmm. And this was in Stoke Ferry. Uh, Kent had uh, kept an inn, and then later he was running the local post office. Now all of a sudden he was a single father. Or was he? You see, because Elizabeth had a sister and her sister's name was Frances, commonly known as Fanny. That's right. And Fanny um, swooped in to help out with the, the child care because uh, Kent found himself. I don't know. There's no exact details as to why he couldn't raise the child himself, but he seemed uh, inept at the at the whole mm-hmm. affair. And so he needed a, a woman's touch. Yeah. And. Unfortunately, the infant, who was a boy, did not survive for very long. And when the child unfortunately passed away, childhood mortality being at a much higher rate in those days, uh, Fanny decided to stay on and become kind of a housekeeper for William. But soon they began having their own amorous relationship. Yeah, and I think there was even a time where he kind of sent her away and um, she wrote him letters saying, you know, kind of, I don't want to say begging, but, you know, expressing that her love for him was real and that he should, you know, welcome welcome her back with open arms. And eventually it worked and he um, and they ended up together. But this is interesting Um, because she was a relative of his former wife. Mm -hmm. It was not. Uh, uh, kosher for them to get married. It was it was against the law. Yeah, it was against canon law for them to be married. And this this is something that they were both aware of. And it's one of the suspected motivations pushing William Kent to originally leave Fanny and move to London. But she wins him over with these passionate letters. And so he eventually says, okay, come move with me. Come meet me in London. I live in East Greenwich. And they decide that they're going to, you know, canon law be darned. They're going to live together as man and wife. Canon law being like of the Catholic Church? Not so much Catholic. Not so much Catholic. This is England. I mean, canon law can be any organized religion's ah, law. But, so the C of E. Right. So the Anglican Church. Uh-huh. Uh, and the Methodists will also appear in here later. Despite the fact that they have decided to, in practice, disobey canon law, they do try to keep it on what we would call in the modern day, the low. They keep it on the down low. They still have wills in each other's favor, but they're trying to be discreet about this. They don't want a bunch of people to know what they're doing. And they are not very successful with this because they move to some rooms near a place called the Mansion House. They're renting these rooms, and historians believe the landlords may have learned about this illicit relationship from Fanny's other surviving relatives. And this is, this is where we have to start talking about Kent's job. What, what does Kent do, Noel? 
Well, this took me a couple of passes of some of this research material to uh, read until I happened upon an article by our good pals at the Daily Mail um, who, you know, aren't exactly the the most reputable source uh, for for stuff like this. But they had a really good write-up about this particular story that real quickly called him for what he was, which is a loan shark. Um, because he had done this several times because I was reading another article where it right. kept saying how he was always loaning his landlord's money. Mm-hmm. And at first I thought I was misreading it. Like, does this – do they mean that landlords were loaning him money and getting mm-hmm. mad because he wasn't paying? No. He was loaning them money and then always got into trouble because of dis- disputes about, uh, you know, how he was going to get paid back. And I think you used the term usury. Um, yeah, he's a usurer which I would phrase as a loan shark today, a usurer being someone who makes questionable loans with unfair interest rates. And originally, usury meant any sort of interest of any kind. However, in this case, it was like his job. He loaned people money, and they were supposed to pay him back. This goes sour when their landlord at these rooms near the mansion house decides that, hey, these people are living in sin. I despise this. I am not going to repay that money that you loaned me, Mr. Kent. And uh, I read somewhere is the equivalent of about 20 pounds today, probably a little bit more than 20 pounds today. And so Kent moved to have that landlord arrested, which could only bring tensions to the house. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, they were uh, asked to leave, mm-hmm. right? They were, they were evicted over this dispute. They were evicted over this dispute. They had to find somewhere else to live. Around about this time, they meet a clerk, a parish clerk by the name of Richard Parsons. Yeah, he's a clerk at the um, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Saint right? Sepulchre without Newgate. Okay, well, I made I made the first part up, but <laughs> I was close. I got the the, the key word right, yeah. which is a crazy word, a sepulchre. I just love it. It's very I love goth sounding. Dash without Newgate. Yeah, where's Newgate in all of this? It's not there. I that's guess. for sure. I know. Wow. Yeah, I don't understand. But yeah, that religious uh, connection is going to come into play mm-hmm. here. Uh, pretty shortly. But yeah, no sooner do, do they move in um, that he, uh, Kent, loans this guy Parsons another sum of money um, with the uh, terms of a guinea a month in interest. Right. He's got 12, he loans them 12 guineas and they're supposed to be repaid at that rate, right? So, oh, we should mention the most important part. When Parsons hears about their plight, he is sympathetic. And he says, hey, you can use these rooms, you can live in these rooms in my home on Cock Lane, which is just north of this church. And yes, Noel is absolutely right here. Shortly after Mr. and Mrs. Kent, as they were calling themselves at the time, scandal. Casey, can I get a gasp from the crowd? (gasps) Perfect. Uh, Right as they were moving in, Kent loaned Parsons this 12 guineas. And then... It was shortly after that Kent goes to visit someone, I think for a wedding, like he leaves town. And then they hear these reports of strange noises. Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, But before before that, um, this landlord also discovered the nature of their relationship Uh, and held that over uh, Kent's head Mm. again. 
as a as a way of saying I'm not paying you back this money because I got some dirt on you. Yeah, because he knew about their plight of needing a place to live, but maybe he did not know the full extent of why they were out of house and home. So at some point he found out, right? Oh, he did. He did. And now it's not clear exactly how he found out, probably very similarly to, I don't know, maybe uh, maybe another another snitching relative. Because <laughs> you have to remember, too, that this guy was doing something pretty untoward in the puritanical eyes of the time. He was carrying on with the sister of his dead wife, which would have been frowned upon in this uh, kind of society. In many places, it's still probably frowned upon today. Of Parsons was a family man himself. But also apparently a bit of an alcoholic. Yeah, yeah. He was considered a generally nice guy around town, but known luckily as a drunk with money problems. So he definitely needed those 12 guineas to support his wife and his two daughters. He had uh, one daughter in particular is very important to this story named Elizabeth, also called Betty by her friends and familiars. And Kent, when he traveled away from town, he asked Elizabeth to stay with Fanny because Fanny, by this point, was several months pregnant. But then, yeah, uh, as fate would have it, the story takes another unfortunate turn where Fanny dies of smallpox, taking along with her her unborn child. Yeah, so the very first reports of these noises come from Elizabeth, Betty, and and Fanny. And at first... uh, Mrs. Parsons attributes them to uh, a shoemaker, and people are kind of creeped out, but they're trying to to figure out what's happening there. And Kent decided, here's how the death went down. Kent decided to that they needed to move to another place, but the place was not suitable. The place that they were living in temporarily was not suitable for a woman so far along in pregnancy. And as he said, um, on, on February 2nd, 1760, Fanny Lyle, also known as Mrs. Kent, passed away with her child. Kent is the sole executor of the will, the living Mr. Kent, uh, but he had very valid fears about being legally in hot water if people knew about the, the true nature of their relationship. That's right, that's right. In the will, he's just... Mr. Kent. Yeah, and I think Fanny's brother had passed recently as Mm -hmm. well, leaving her his portion of the family estate or whatever. Yeah, like 150 pounds. Yeah, which was nothing to sneeze at. So uh, Kent was due a a decent little chunk of change. Um, I want to mention one thing, too. Um, There was a great podcast episode from a show called Dig, Mm -hmm. digpodcast.org, on the Cock Lane Ghost of London. And it had a few details in it that I thought were super interesting, one of which was, uh, and I've seen this in a couple other places, too, but I like the way they put it, um, that... As, Fran- as Fanny was on her deathbed, um, there are multiple reports of people in the area or in, in the home seeing a ghost or a, a some sort of apparition mm-hmm. uh, manifest in the home while, while Fran- Fanny was still alive. So this story gets really confusing in, in places. I'm going to go ahead and put that out there right now sure. because the noises happened before Fanny died and there was a sense or, or some local reports that it was actually Kent's deceased wife. Right, his original wife. Coming yeah. around and uh, making trouble and rattling chains because she was unhappy mm-hmm. about said uh, carryings on with, with her sister. Elizabeth lines, yeah. So what's key to notice here, as we established earlier, those strange sounds begin 
as soon as Elizabeth enters the picture, the younger, the Elizabeth Parsons, Elizabeth, Betty, the, the, the daughter, the child, of, Betty. yes, the daughter of the uh, landlord. Yes, the daughter of the landlord, Parsons. And despite the problems that they have uh, regarding the strange phenomenon, when Fanny passes away, the Parsons family hears no more of these strange noises, and they kind of shrugged it off as just one of these things. There's a great blog called Strange Company, which <laughs> bills this as a walk on the weird side of history, and they break down some of the financial stuff here. At the time the two families left, at the time Kent moved uh, himself and his wife out of the Parsons household, Parsons still owed Kent three guineas of those 12 he had been loaned. So Kent takes Parsons to court, and he takes him to court successfully. He collects the three guineas. Now it's January 1762, and guess what? The strange noises start up again even louder and more vehemently than before. Have we described these sounds yet, Ben? There, there were a couple of variations that we'll get into, but the main one was something of a, of a scratch. Right. Originally, they were knocks. And then they became scratches the second time they surfaced. Yeah, and it's crazy that the uh, the evolution of this sound. You know, there's always what you think of it. I think I've mentioned this on another show before, but remember that episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm where Larry is obsessed with the house sound? Yeah. Can we play that clip real quick? What's that noise? You hear a noise? Yeah. What is it? It's probably just a house sound or something. A house sound? Yeah. What's a house sound? It also reminds me of that trope in so many horror films where someone goes, it's only the wind. And in this case, they're like, shh, shh, trouble not, young Betty. Tis only the cobbler. Tis but a cobbler tinkering away. Yeah. Exactly. So cobblers can tinker, but can tinkers cobble, Ben? Anyone can cobble. The difference is whether you can cobble well. I see. Right? I see. If you can uh, cobble well enough to trust trust your shoes afterwards. In this case, the shoemaker just makes that one appearance. Cobbler guy does not come back afterwards, but the noises do. As we said, they came back with a vengeance right after that court case was decided in Kent's favor. That's right. And at this point... It's become a bit of a of a local phenomenon, hasn't it? And the ghost has earned a nickname, a rather bawdy nickname. <laughs> Are you saying, talking about the Cock Lane ghost? No, no, Scratch oh. and Fanny. Scratch and Fanny, okay, yes. They're both kind of bawdy, if we're being honest. They're bawdy to us. Yeah. I think for them, Cock Lane was just the name of their street. No, totally, but, but Scratch and Fanny... Right. Uh, over there, Fanny doesn't mean the same thing as it means over here. I'm just going to put that out That's there. That's absolutely true. Uh, a lot of your British fans will find the term fanny pack hilarious. Yeah, and scratch and fanny just sounds like something. Something totally Pretty different. naughty. Yeah. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes. You heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah. Um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah. I, I just remember. It was my dad's. I, I was a hand-me-down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car. I'd get that car. And I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody. Like I was mm. in Mad Max or something, you know? I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac, yeah. Bonnevilles. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. But it, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers... Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. So we can conjecture a bit on how the community and neighborhood found out about this phenomenon and how the Cockling Ghost or Scratch and Fanny acquired this early renown. They had checked originally with this cobbler to see if the cobbler was working during the time that they heard these noises. Oh, was it not on a Sunday? It was uh it was at a time when the he wouldn't be working. I think it was a Sunday. It was Sunday, yeah. so that makes sense. Yeah. And a neighbor named James Franzen said that he saw a strange white figure drifting through the Parsons' home back when back when Fanny was still alive. That's the one we talked about earlier, the apparition that was uh, when she was on her right. deathbed or whatever. And That's the guy. Yep, yep, He yep. also said that he heard ghostly knockings in his own bedchamber. So picture this guy at the local pub around with his buddies, right? That's how these words and rumors spread. And 
now people are starting not only to report the ghosts, but to ascribe motive to Scratch and Fanny. So they said that she was not here just to make a hubbub and a hullabaloo, but that she was here with a mission. She was trying to get justice beyond the grave. And people started to play back the details of Fanny's death and life to themselves. And they started saying, Hey, what? Fanny made a will, leaving everything she owned to Kent. Everything she had? Every last farthing. In it? In it. And uh, then uh, they noticed that Fanny's surviving sister, Anne, had arrived for the funeral and was very upset that she couldn't take a look at her sister in the grave. Like, they couldn't open the coffin for her. And then she said that, at least allegedly, Anne said that Kent had done something dastardly and that Fanny's surviving siblings were all in good repair with her. You know what I mean? They got along. There wasn't any sibling hate or rivalry. So why would she have left uh, her fortune to this uh, loan shark dude, right? Mm-hmm. Who, you know, surely that was not a respected profession in those days. He, he would have been seen, seen as a bit of a, of a confidence man almost, right? I mean, loans in general were... Uh, always a a hot button issue he was called a usurer not exactly kind words Mm -mm, right mm -mm. so people started thinking that mr william kent was not quite the grief-stricken widow that he appeared to be i don't think i think it's time we get into when the church starts getting involved what do you think sure so let's talk a little bit about the people who are starting to observe this stuff. We have Franzen walking by first, a neighbor, and then we have more people in the community finding out. But the word of this spreads through London proper, beyond the neighborhood, to the entire city. London town. So strangers are stopping by. Oh, totally. And I actually saw one mention about how um, it had made the narrow little side street of Cock Lane virtually impassable because Mm -hmm. it was like, you know, just picture some sort of street side attraction and people just be queued up outside and, Mm -hmm. you know, blocking the road. I mean, it was totally like that. Like it was definitely chock full of looky-loos. Right. And there was no assigned time at which the apparently unearthly phenomenon would occur. So people would just stay out in the street waiting and drinking. And some uh, famous people started to observe this too. Well, that's true. But that's um, when really things started heating up was when Parsons himself, we, we remember he was a clerk at the uh, most holy church of the sepul- Saint sepulcher without Newgate. Without, with you, Newgate. That's the one. And he had some connects. Uh, one of these was a guy by the name of John Moore, who was an assistant preacher at uh, St. Sepulchre's. Without Newgate. As without Newgate. And he was also the rector at a place called St. Bartholomew the Great, which was over in West Smithfield. And he, I don't know, for lack of a better term, was like, like an exorcist, right? He was coming in there because um, there was also talk that young Elizabeth— uh, the the daughter of the uh, the the landlord, Mr. Parsons, mm-hmm. was possibly possessed. Right, because the thing that we would refer to as a poltergeist today seemed to be closely associated with her, with uh, Elizabeth Parsons specifically. Interesting. Yeah. Right. And 
one of the things that Parsons really wanted more to help him do was to be uh, a subject matter expert and establish first that there had been reports of Fanny's sister, Elizabeth, appearing in ghostly form as Fanny was laying in her deathbed. And then they said, okay, well, the spirit that's haunting the Parsons' house now, and particularly Elizabeth Parsons, must be the spirit of Fanny herself, hence scratching Fanny. This didn't sound too out of the ordinary or impossible back then in England because there was a widespread belief in ghosts, you know. Shakespeare's been around. There are ghosts aplenty in the literature and the folklore of the time. Well, I certainly think folks were a lot more willing to accept this stuff without any proof, uh, imaginations running wild like they do. And also just the kind of zealous religious nature of the time and the fact that a member of the clergy would take this issue that seriously mm. speaks to the mindset of, I think, the public, right? Yeah, and here's the other part. They did see themselves as rational investigators because, you see, they devised a method of attempting to communicate with the ghost, uh, transforming back from scratchings to knocks, right? And they said, maybe we can speak with this ghost through a very simple system, and we, it, we can make sure it can hear us and respond to us with the sounds it's making. And we'll set up a system and we'll explain it aloud to the ghost or the entity so that the ghost then knows the rules of interaction and we'll keep it simple. So no Morse code, nothing like that. Morse code wasn't around by that time. What's the system, Ben? Well, if there's a question where the answer is yes, you have one knock. There's an answer where the question is no, you have two knocks. But here's my question. Like, what's the space between two knocks? And right. And does it all get all gummed up when you ask things that aren't yes or no questions? You know what I mean? That was a clap. <laughs> I think for the rest of the podcast, Ben, I would like to communicate back with you only with knocks, only with yes or no uh, responses. Is that OK? So what was the line of questioning, Ben, that the uh, that the the exorcist, I'm going to call him that. What, what did, how did he uh, start grilling the ghost? It's interesting because we have the. We have the questions, and we're fairly certain that we have the actual exact questions because we found them in a couple of different sources. I found them in a book called The Cock Lane Ghost by a guy named Paul Chambers, and I think they've been printed out in another couple of places. But we're, we're fairly certain these are the actual questions. Uh, let's see. Do you want to be the priest or do you want to be the ghost? <laughs> um, dealer's choice, Ben. Dealer's choice. Dealer's choice. Uh, all right. I think you would be great for the character of the priest. Ben, thank you. First of all, I want to preface by saying that these are some pretty leading questions for this ghost. Um, but but just the same, we're going to present them here without comment. Casey, can we get some uh, tense music? Are you the wife of Mr. Kent? Did you die naturally? Was that two or three knocks? Okay, then. By poison? Imagine a pregnant pause here. Did any person other than Mr. Kent administer it? 
And then at this point, somebody in the audience uh, shouts, Head to ask the ghost if you shall be hanged. And uh, the question was asked. And uh, the ghost responded thusly. <gasps> Yikes. I know. Yeah. Trial by ghost. Uh, maybe. Maybe by ghost. So, so this is a, to some people, to the more religiously minded, this is a damning smoking gun for Mr. William Kent. Because there's already that hubbub around town about why would she have left him all of her, her possessions when right. she had no falling out with her uh, living family, right? So as, as this ghost, quote-unquote ghost, is answering further questions, people decide that she had not died from smallpox, but rather specifically from arsenic poisoning. And according to their theory, the arsenic had been given to Fanny by Kent himself two hours before she died. And now, again, allegedly, her spirit had returned for vengeance. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool, I, yeah. I, I just remember, it was my dad's. I, I was a hand-me-down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car. And I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something, you know? I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac, yeah. Bonnevilles. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. But it, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers... 
Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. And this uh, experiment was repeated several additional times on January 5th. A guy, a reverend by the name of Thomas Broughton, came to the house and uh, checked out the hauntings. And um, we start seeing this popping up in the papers. And them, like, kind of, this guy's being kind of tried in the court of public opinion because Ooh. public opinion leans pretty heavily on the word of ghosts, apparently. Right. The public ledger started publishing regular accounts of the Cockling ghost phenomenon, and more and more people would read the paper and say, you know, that William Kent is a, a murderer. And Kent vowed to clear his name, so he brought in two of the doctors who had taken care of Fanny in her last days, along with Reverend Broughton, and took them to Cockling and said, okay, let's do a seance. This seance did not go the way that they thought it would. Uh, it started with a relative of the Parson family, a lady named Mary Fraser, running around the room shouting, Fanny, Fanny, why don't you come? Do come, pray, Fanny, come. Nothing happened. According to Moore, it's because they were too noisy. There's a pretty incredible article that I found um, that's from the Derby Mercury, which was a paper of note, and it's it's almost impossible to fully read because it really is written in like almost Canterbury Tales type language. Yeah, and it's a, and it's a large font too where the uh, lowercase s's look like uh, lowercase f's. This is the one from January 21st one, 22nd. That's right. Priced at two pence and a half penny. It's a steal. You just don't know who's getting robbed. Yeah, the Derby Mercury reported pretty extensively on this uh, during the time that it was happening. Are, are you want to go for some interpretations here, Noel? I, I was thinking you might be able to. I was having a hard time. Um, but let's see if we can find a choice <clears throat> graph. Uh, the, it begins with, For some time past, a great knocking, having been heard in the night at the officiating parish clerks of St. Sepulchre's in Cock Lane near Smithfield to the great terror of the family and all means used to discover the meaning of it, four gentlemen set up there on Friday night, among whom was a clergyman who asked various questions. <laughs> questions is capitalized. Yeah. I feel like we have to say it that way. Yeah, and the S's and F's is really throwing me for a loop. Can I, can I give it a try? Yeah, give it a go. On his asking if anyone had been murdered, nothing answered. But on his asking if anyone had been poisoned, it knocked six times. Various are the conjectures in the neighborhood of this supposed specter, but the cause as yet has not been discovered. My accent's shifting. Uh, the report current in the neighborhood is that a woman was some time ago poisoned and buried at St. John's Clerkenwell. And he goes on in detail offering these 
question and answer sessions across various days as proof. Uh, there, there are some parts of the narrative where you see investigators asking the ghost to identify how many people were present in the room and even asking to uh, the ghost to predict the future as well. So one of the questions is, how long would it be before William Kent was executed? And they said three years. Wow. And, and the ability to see into the future is another trait commonly associated with ghosts or those who dwell beyond the veil. Yes, but it's really kind of unconfirmable, isn't it? I mean, I could, he could have said 30 years. He could have said two weeks. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, we should also mention at this time, William Kent is, uh, is married. Uh, he has his third wife, not mm-hmm. related to his previous two. And as they were holding these seances, the Lord Mayor of London becomes involved. And they also start moving Elizabeth, the young Elizabeth, Elizabeth Parsons, to different houses to conduct seances because they say the ghost is somehow associated with her. Huh. Huh. Interesting. Who'd have thunk it? And also, there's just no way we can get through Cock Lane. The crowds are too uh, too pressing. Right. So right. we have to try somewhere else. We need to do some, like, pop-up seances yeah. elsewhere yeah, in, yeah. in London town. So shall we get to the twist, if you haven't already predicted it? Here's another twist. Yeah, let's just let's go for it. Uh, they keep having seances, and more and more notable people come. One seance in February of 1762, a Dr. Samuel Johnson is allowed to visit the seance. And what, what, what do they find there, Noel? Well, and you may recall earlier that there was some talk of uh, the ghost being kind of emanating or uh, being associated with Elizabeth Parsons. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it turns out she, she'd been hiding uh, some wood blocks up her skirt and uh, banging them together, making those knocks. Yeah, she had hidden the wood in her clothes and following a trial, like she, she was busted, busted. They found the little pieces of wood and it explained all the past uh, imperfections of seances where they said, oh, we have to do it with the lights low uh-huh. or we can't, the knocking stops if you look under the table where the kids' legs are. Right. So Elizabeth Parsons comes clean. She says she's doing this because her dad made her. That's right. The dad, uh, the uh, drunk, mm-hmm. who had apparently drunk his one guinea a month um, interest payments away mm-hmm. after he tried to extort Kent. See, I, I don't think Kent comes off as a bully in this story. I, th- I think Parsons uh, comes off as, as, as more of the bully here. Um, Kent's just trying to ply his trade, man. He's not forcing anybody to take the loan. He's just offering it, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm, I don't know. Maybe that makes me sound like a bad guy. But that's how I feel. So, yeah, it was all in revenge of, like, him bringing legal action against this guy. And, you know, if, if you could accuse Kent of being anything, it was cheap. Because a guinea isn't a lot, I don't believe. And we talked about these being usurious rates. Because, mm-hmm. you know, it almost sounds like I think it was a 12-guinea loan. That's and, and he was supposed to pay back that one guinea a month. Yep. And didn't get to go, didn't go to court until it was down to three guinea a month or three, three guinea total. Yes. And I think that Kent took him to court, even though it wasn't even that much money, it was more for the principle of the thing as far as he was concerned. So I think, and what I'm getting at mm-hmm. is that clearly the villain here is not Kent, despite, you know, maybe, maybe it's not cool that he married his, uh, or semi-married his dead wife's sister. 
But yeah. I don't know. She, she was there for him. She helped him raise the child. They and seemed like they were in they, love. They shared a tragedy together, you know, when this, this, this child died. I don't know. That seems fine to me. So... Yeah, it's very difficult, I would say, unfair to ascribe those personal motives if we don't really know the story. So I would I would say from their behavior, it seems like as a couple, they were on the up and up, despite the fact that society didn't approve of them. Ultimately, society does side with Mr. Kent, at least, because Parsons goes to trial and he is sentenced to two years in jail. Yeah, and he even has a co-conspirator, which I believe was his uh, his maid. Mary, um, Mary Fraser. Mary Mary Fraser. Uh, not to be confused with Franzen. There's a lot of a lot of characters and names in this story. It was, it's a, it's a little bit of a tricky one, but this is this is good. Mm. She gets six months hard labor, which is no good. What happened to the daughter though? She was because uh, she was a minor. She didn't get anything. You, you don't hear about anything happening to her. But it seems like she was the one perpetrating the ruse. Maybe it was just because he was contributing to her delinquency. But she was like 20 years old, I believe. She was of age. She she had grown by that time, but was probably still thought to be a hapless pawn. Yeah, that's obeying true. Obeying the wishes of her parents. And additionally, Parsons, who said he was innocent, by the way, the whole time and never confessed, uh, was pilloried. A pillory for anyone who, you kind of recall the term, but you don't know exactly what it is. A pillory is when people are put in those weird stocks mm-hmm. that hold them at their neck and their wrists. It's a form of public humiliation. Does not sound like fun. Yeah. They do it at the Renaissance Fair, though, here in uh, Atlanta. Yes, but in contrast to the way the crowds would treat other criminals in the pillory, people didn't throw rotten fruit and meat at him. They actually took the opportunity to walk around and collect money for him, for his cause. Interesting. Because no matter what he had done, he still hadn't married the sister of his dead wife. Wow, Ben, full circle. (laughs) So it really is more of a puritanical judgment. Uh, at the end of the day, a little, a little bit more, and there's much more to the story regarding the cultural context of the time, the religious controversy between Methodists and Orthodox Anglicans. But that may be a tale for another day. We hope you enjoy the story of this early spiritual investigation: skepticism versus spirituality versus scandal. Uh, but this is far from the only ghost story that we'll tell eventually, right? Yeah, you said we're going we're gonna to really lean into some ghost stories for the month of October. Maybe. I said I would, I would love to, but we're, we are nothing if not a democracy, right? So That's fair. Write to us and let us know if there are any spooky stories from history that you think your fellow ridiculous historians would like to hear. And also, you know, write to us if you're like, no, don't tell any spooky stories. Yeah, you can write to us at ridiculous at howstuffworks.com. You can hit us up on Facebook or Instagram where we're Ridiculous History. Um, please also join our Facebook group where we have lots of fun discussions, and that's a good place to post any suggestions for us as well because we do kind of hang out in there, and that's called Ridiculous Historians on Facebook. Um, big thanks to super producer Casey Pegram and Alex Williams who composed our theme. As well as Christopher Hasiotis, our research associate and erstwhile cameo expert on the show. We need to have him back on soon, as well as Eve's Jeff Coat. Uh, and big thanks to you, Noel, and big thanks to you, listeners. And please stick around for our next episode where we talk about what happened to the Mad Hatter who killed the man who killed Abraham Lincoln. It's a doozy, folks. 
that's all for today. I guess we could end on a knock-knock joke. Sure. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon Waterways can go where the big ships can only dream through winding passageways of rolling vineyards and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is Raquel Willis from Queer Chronicles. Right now, there are close to 500 anti-LGBTQ plus bills in state legislatures across the country. Lambda Legal is leading the charge against these hateful bills that target mostly trans and non-binary people. You can fight discrimination and help write the next chapter of Lambda Legal History. To learn more about their open cases and to donate, visit lambdalegal.org. That's lambdalegal.org.